0: The AWS for Software Companies podcast, episode 19. Reimagine your applications with serverless containers featuring Skylar Greika of Smartsheet and Jeet Cowell of Jumio. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS for Software Companies podcast where we speak to software leaders around the world about their journeys to the cloud, overcoming obstacles, and the role that Amazon Web Services play in their success. Today, we feature a roundtable discussion on organizational adoption, benefits, and best practices for deploying serverless containers for software leaders, featuring Skylar Greka, Product and Engineering Leader of Smartsheet, and Jeet Cowles, Senior Vice President of Jumio, moderated by Benjat Chanana of AWS.
1: My name is Benjoth Chanana. I run our application modernization specialists at AWS. We are a team of specialists that work with customers primarily around containers, serverless, and our integration services offerings. So what we wanted to talk about with this panel is talk about that journey for serverless and the use of serverless. Now, I think for many folks, Serverless is probably a pretty vague concept. It's been overloaded quite a bit in the industry. And so I wanted to constrain it a little bit for this discussion and make sure we, we talk about it in, in some very specific uh, ways. The first is I wanted to constrain it to what we think of as serverless compute offerings. So there's like a wide variety of offerings from AWS focused around serverless uh, data, databases and serverless uh, instances for other capabilities. We want to focus here primarily around kind of serverless as an operational model, primarily for compute. And so we'll focus the discussion a little bit here. So I'll first thank our esteemed panelists here for joining me, Skylar and Jeet. Uh, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. So with that, I'll hand it over to Skylar. If you want to give us a quick intro, sure. and tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, it's great to be here. My name is Skylar. I uh, work at Smartsheet. We are a platform that You can plan the work, do the work, and automate the work. And it's a no-code, low-code solution. If you haven't used it, definitely check us out or talk to me after.
3: So, Jeet Kahl, I head engineering in a company called Jumeo. We do identity and ID verification.
1: Awesome. Thank you both for being here. Let's let's jump into the discussion, uh, and maybe I'd love to get your take on where serverless starts and stops. How do you guys think about the concepts of serverless uh, in your respective organizations?
3: I think that constraining the problem to compute is the right approach to think of because when you're talking to an API, all of that is serverless to you, right? Uh, Actually figuring out what your business logic is and making that problem go away from you is the real serverless problem. From my perspective, that is what serverless is. Everything else is serverless, right? It just doesn't really count. So I like the fact that you constrain that stuff and I think that is how I see serverless to be. Skylar. Serverless,
2: I've had many debates. Engineers are, first off, serverless always picks a fight because an engineer has to say, there's a server somewhere and like, we know there's a server. But I think it does come down to the, the level of abstraction um, and really to me, it is more of an abstraction of where you know compute is being done.
1: Um, I think one of the things that we've tried to do, at least at AWS, is think about how do we constrain the definition a little bit? So we're going to focus this discussion around compute, but we've also set some principles for ourselves about how we think about serverless offerings even into the future. One of those is that we want to take the management of the infrastructure out. So that means no instance management, no operating system management, The second is the ability to scale uh, as you need. And the third is actually focused around uh, payment and billing. So we want to focus serverless primarily on pay as you need or pay as you go infrastructure uh, and services. So uh, less about what you request and more about what you actually use. Um, So those are three of the principles we've tried to to focus on to make sure that we think about serverless offerings in that way. Maybe talk a little bit about your adoption of serverless, where it started, um, what, what caught inside your organization? Was it organic or was there like a top-down, hey, this is, these are the services we're going to use? Skeller, if you want to sure. start. This is a
2: great question. So Smartsheet had a data center up until about 2018 and we finally made our journey over uh, to the cloud and this was probably about a two-year journey. And at that time, there was also a very strong organizational change where we were going from centralized ops and application engineering teams to more of this T-shaped engineer, service-oriented architecture. So there was two big things switching around at the same time. And because we had this ops focus and centralized ops teams, there was a lot of drive to go to the next closest thing to what we had in the data center. They wanted EC2s, they wanted to get as low level and manage as much as they could. Where you had a blend of new hires and kind of this new train of thought in the company where containers, since we're having smaller service teams and we have kind of the autonomy to choose, like, why not uh, pick something that is going to have le- we have less responsibility, you know, to manage. And since we had also a push to go to the GovCloud, we wanted to try reducing <laughs> our uh, T-shapeness as much as possible because we know an engineer would have a hard time uh, being successful if they had to worry about the ops, the testing, the full stack, and like very low-level details of each. And this is where the serverless level of abstraction comes in. Because with serverless, we can kind of shave down and narrow what each engineer needs to know about. Um, and so I think we started dabbling with ECS. Uh, on EC2 is kind of a first path for a lot of teams. There's constant resistance, though. Because of the ops mentality, teams really wanted to stick to EC2. Um, so EC2 with ECS, we were able to win a lot of those decisions early on. Then certain teams started appearing that were tapping into Fargate and other managed offerings. Lambdas have always kind of been there, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. Smartsheet has primarily landed in either EKS or ECS, um, and there's a moving trend to use Fargate. And uh, yeah, and we'll talk more about that uh, as this goes.
3: Yeah, so so I uh, drank the serverless Kool-Aid in 2014. Uh, and Early. so I've been on that Kool Aid forever. Um, I don't know how many of you have had to worry about, you know, managing servers and patching and finding problems and buying security software to find problems in production and in development. It's a nightmare. And if you have a whole lot of servers, it's it's twice a the nightmare. Then you have to kind of then somebody reminds you. Here's your chart. Here are the things you haven't fixed. So, so. It's it you know, naturally to me. I've been in favor of this. I've gone in and, and pitched this wherever I have been. So it was top down at our place. Oh, really? Interesting. So, uh, but the approach was uh, very simple. So we uh, so this early last year, uh, like February March time frame. So we have about like two hundred fifty services, and we have multiple uh, regions. So you can imagine the amount of ops load that exists there. The other part that we have is uh, we have a typical SaaS workload. Peaks are at day, valleys are at night. And you have to scale to the peak. You're not going to spend time going up and down because that's another ops load for this one. And you can kind of shrink a few things, but you have to do a lot of engineering to kind of go in and make this go smoothly for your customers. And then each, we, uh, we have, you know, 250 plus services, and you have to spread them across multiple AZs. So you're kind of sitting down on stuff for a long, long time. And so it was like, no, we are going to change this. And uh, you know, th- let me just kind of put some disclaimers here. Based on some workload, serverless does not work. Okay. Based on some workloads, Lambda is the best. After a certain time, Fargate is better. And then obviously, you can go back to EC2 but I can promise you 80% of use cases can be solved with serverless, right? So you just have to go in and plunge in. So we just kind of came back and said, okay, we have a group of people, so we took a couple of teams, told them go in, and you're going to go in and do, so we picked ECS, Fargate, we could have picked EKS, Uh, probably didn't matter, so we picked Fargate first, and had that team go in and do it. They came back, they showed the difference in cost over a period of couple of weeks, and then shared with others and then we had other teams come in so this was not a mandate it was just basically we picked people who were eager to do it worked with them showed the impact and then we got a large group of people to do this then we had straddlers at the end of last year like two or three teams then it was a mandate for them it was like you better change it you know we cut costs down dramatically just you know you know from the auto scaling Yes, from the fact that we had originally autoscale, but, you know, you have a base uh, number. We had three uh, availability zones spread, right? So even when we went down to very low traffic, you still had 250 services, three availability zones sitting, mm-hmm. right? So it, it, it had a major, major impact. So that's that's the journey. It, was, it all got done, you know, but... 20 different teams all got done last year from March to December.
1: So it sounds like both of you actually started in somewhat of an organic adoption model. you you kind of winning the hearts and minds. What was the, I, I, Skylar, you mentioned this, the initial reaction was, hey, I wanna manage my instances. like Just like I was managing in the data center, I wanna manage them over here. Um, was that the reaction of the development teams as well, your engineers?
2: Well, I think, <laughs> That's a good question. At this point... How much is this was kind I of mean, production
1: ops versus the engineering kind well, of... Uh, going from the central teams, centralized, at yeah. this
2: point, engineers are just scrambling. Like, what? We have to manage servers now? We have to manage our own instance? Like, we don't have an ops team that's going to go and just like... Because normally, we would just hand that over. They would take care of it. It would get deployed somehow. We didn't have the visibility. So there was a lot of that kind of scrambling around they would, you know, engineers would be happy to land on anything, especially if the ops team would kind of partner with them, and then they're not really leaning into the T-shape model. Um, so it really did take a few thought leaders um, and champions, like teams that went through it, and they had kind of a, a schema that they could, fo- other teams could follow, whether it was, you know, as code using Terraform or CloudFormation, but just some path and that's all it really takes, is you can get a few use cases that you can explore out um, in advance of when you're gonna do your initiative, and then you just let it go, you know, get some docs around it, how teams can kind of self-sufficient go and adopt the same model. But uh, if you have many teams running out trying to solve it all in different ways, well, expect a lot of different solutions and you know, not hitting your, kind of your timelines. So.
1: Did you find a difference between kind of the engineering uh, adoption, kind of development teams versus the operations teams?
3: Surprisingly, no. It might just be unique makeup of the, the, the teams overall. Uh, the ops team, you know, was willing to go in. So we have a, you know, central ops team that basically does the CI/CD part. So, you know, our test and development environments, you know, go, come up and down. Um, uh, so they do that. They were very eager to go in and support this exercise. And then we had a group of uh, people who were interested, who are like the pioneers, you know, leads who have influence, and they started the exercise. So once that happened and they showed the impact, you know, it spread very quickly. It was not very hard to move, move in that direction.
1: Were there any unintended benefits that you found after adopting that model? Was so, there was there anything that you found that you know all of a sudden you, you didn't realize was going to be a benefit that all all of a sudden showed up?
3: So you know so uh, honestly I, I'm not sure I've attributed to this <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> but I feel that we had several teams become more uh, I felt more productive uh, less hesitant in moving forward and making changes it was it was a whole different ballgame it should have, there was no correlation, right? The, the place where we saved a lot was ops side because we had the ops team, f- you know, worrying about upgrading, updating, staying on top, tra- tracking security team. That load went away, so they clearly were happy. But in development teams, there was an uptick and I have, you know, I honestly don't know why. <laughs> but yes, uh, things, uh, you know, I would say kind of productively improved, so.
1: Skylar, same question. Any any unintended uh, benefits you found when you yeah offered this option up?
2: Yeah, so I would say initially, eventually unintended benefits. At the start, you see a lot more surprises that may catch teams like in more of a, a negative stance. But and these are things where it takes some understanding and tuning to really get the most benefit out of Fargate. If you just go into like ECS or EKS Fargate um, you know, in a rush and think you're going to come out with benefits, well, you're still paying a premium around what you would pay on like an EC2. And so that's where things like being able to right-size and, and leverage uh, auto-scaling, where you can start to extract and really benefit from it to the point where you're way below what the premium is. And in some, uh, uh, I have a few things I'll share later on about use cases where we were able to see, you know, like up to seventy percent reductions in our in our costs by switching to Fargate, um, and this would be from traditional EC two, um, uh, EC two just by itself or EC two running Docker on it, not not with ECS though. So yeah.
1: And just to clarify, so you know, one of the one of the concerns I usually hear from customers initially looking at Serverless is that hey it actually looks like it's more expensive because you know you're taking on more of the you know higher price services how, how did you when you looked at the cost structures you know were you looking at the operational cost were you looking at just the hey, aws bill actually comes down
3: if your workload is small lambda is the way to go there are downsides to the lambda you know Different development stuff. It's it's better now than it was, you know, uh, several years ago, because there's a local development environment model on this stuff. But it is really cheap if your load is low. If you have medium load, that means you know, medium means you know, still millions of uh, transaction stuff. Fargate is very economical, right? Fargate is probably the best approach, right? And if you have a steady load, if you have a steady load you can kind of do that. So there is a trajectory where these things make a big difference. What people usually when you tell serverless and you say serverless cost is high, they think lambda very quickly. And yes, lambda can become very expensive if you're going to go in and have, you know, two million transactions, three million transactions every hour or you know something and every day and you're using Lambda, it will be significantly expensive. But then you have to tailor it right and figure out what the right thing to do that is. So I think that's just uh, you know misunderstanding of what to use when. Right.
1: I want to put all of the kind of elephants sure. on the table, right? Let's let's talk about all the hard parts about doing uh, serverless. Yeah. So third parties, right? How do you plug them in? Which third parties do you use? Do you use third parties? Yeah. Um, you so know,
2: sidecars. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. I think it's the same. It sounds like you're using EKS right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's same thing. You're going to have to run some sort of side sidecar car. containers because. In Docker, you don't, or just with containers, you don't really want to have many main processes running Same. on it, because that kind of like just goes against the container philosophy. So in general, you're going to add additional sidecar containers. They're able to talk to each other or like listen on one of the local ports, that sort of thing. So we use Datadog pretty heavily at SmartSheet, and uh, the Datadog agent we forward a lot of um, just metrics, whether it's statsd. Um, some teams forward logs. And so each one of those and you can do that in different strategies in Fargate I've seen teams go anywhere from running a uh, EFS volume and mount it and just send like logs there and then they get forwarded out and then you only have to run a daemon of whatever so you don't have to run a sidecar every on every one of your ECS services or in each service you just have that sidecar container that runs um, but so then you just you have a little bit more overhead so it's also probably a good thing to kind of limit the memory and CPU for it, so you don't take any of the hit from the C group um, context switch.
3: Yes, and I, you know, I, I think that uh, there, there, there were pieces of software that we just could not deploy, and we had to go to that vendor and say, hey, you know, can you do something? as AI? Yeah, we have some things in plan. So yes, we hit obstacles like that, right? But uh, as Skylar mentioned, I think the mindset, you know. Having a mindset of saying that we're going to start serverless is, you know, I strongly believe, is the model to, to do because the, the benefits you get across the board, across your ops team in terms of uptime, in terms of all of that thing, so huge that you, know, you will slowly see the benefit. Uh, you know, it, those teams will behave differently. So our, pro- our production team is incredibly doing a lot more work than it has done before.
1: How important was the executive sponsorship to uh, to these initiatives? You know, once you had the prototype, once you had the business case kind of laid out, um, w- did you need the executive sponsorship first to go prove that out? Or did you need it once you were rolling out and you were you, you had convinced kind of your leadership that, hey, this was the path to go?
3: You'll have to ask Kyler I, to I, do this. I, I, I was the executive
1: sponsor. You were sponsor. the executive sponsor. So, so, so. It, was an, it was an easy sell. Yeah.
3: yeah. I, I
2: kind of go... The way I approach this and have approached in the past is, I just get ready to apologize, you know, if something goes wrong. But I'll just go and proof, like proof of concept, something, put it out there, and maybe even do that, you know, like the teams and the uh, all the way up until like, you know, two layers of EMs, they're familiar and they're aware. But, I mean, we don't even really incorporate the unless we're doing something like, uh, I don't know, that's very significant. Teams have their own autonomy that we don't really have to get that sponsorship, but it really comes down to what we're trying to pull off. But just moving your service to serverless or building a new feature or a new uh, service in serverless, uh, yeah, it doesn't even go up to the VP.
3: I want to kind of double-click on, on, you know, apologies for being flippant, Uh, Skylar's point here. So what we did was we went to a senior technical person and went and said, hey, this is the right thing to do, can you give it a shot? And he went in, he built an example. He was the one who drove it. So he has credibility across the organization because he has built that credibility over a long period of time. And getting him to go in and do it and show proof points of it was the entire story. That was the sell, right? So you need somebody who, is, you know, who has technical vision, has driven the organization, has a standing in the organization, to buy into this, then everything becomes easy.
1: Got it. So unlike the Gen AI conversation, where you need the, the CEO is reading about Gen AI and like all the great things that could possibly happen, you you look for the technical vision inside the organization that can provide that. Absolutely, provide because that as as he said,
3: we also want these teams to be independent, right? We really want them to move really fast, so they make a lot of calls. If we come back and put a lot of mandates in, this, the nature of the uh, the teams changes then you become like a centrally managed exercise, right? The central management we do is like, here's the vision, here's the stuff, here's the exercise for the year, here are the, your goals, and then good luck, right? And to, keep, to preserve that model, it was important to make them actually believe this was the right thing to do.
2: Yeah, putting confines around any engineer tends to backfire, and really what will kind of provide its own natural guide rail, or guardrails is just success of teams that when ideas and uh, direction are really starting to showcase, like it's very apparent in those teams, and that just kind of uh, creates the process around it. And we found that by just removing those barriers, like you can choose what language you want to use, you can even choose what you know OS. If you want to use Windows, you can. And teams really have all of the all of the control, um, but also what works. Is really what ends up being uh, what's documented most, and so the path that's working best will be the one. uh, So what what's working across there, it'll really start to highlight, and then the documentation around it will allow engineers to just adopt it more.
1: Thank you.
0: Thanks again for listening to the AWS for Software Companies podcast. For more conversations with global software leaders, subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please feel free to share these episodes on LinkedIn or other social media. Thanks again for listening.